Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Good Enough Mums Club podcast, where sometimes being good enough is best. As always, we do swear in this podcast, so we'd recommend waiting until the kids are not around, perhaps in bed, before you dive into this episode. How will I ever be good enough? When will the loneliness fade and will it fade away? Why does it have to be so tough? Hard as I try, I'll never be good enough. My name is Emily Beecher. And I'm Jade Samuels, and we're the hosts of the Good Enough Mums Club podcast. This is the last episode in season one of the podcast. But don't worry, we will be back very soon with more inspiring, diverse, sad, funny, real-life stories about motherhood. And you can join the club or find out more about the musical and when season two will be kicking off by following us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, searching Good Enough Mums Club. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review wherever you listen. We are finishing off season one in style with a true good enough mum, the one and only West End star, Diane Pilkington. Diane has a wealth of shows under her belt, including playing Glinda in Wicked, Belle in Beauty and the Beast, Fantine and Cosette in Les Mis, Grisabella in Cats, and we've been so lucky to have her play the role of Pam in the rehearsal and development stage of our own Good Enough Mums Club musical. We caught up over Zoom, and as always, we kick off with a round of Mum, Would You Rather. Right, you ready? You ready? You ready, Di? Yep. Leaky boob or leaky pelvic floor? (laughs) Leaky boob. (laughs) (laughs) All right, the favourite character that you've played? Ah, Elizabeth Benning. Oh. Pam. (laughs) (laughs) So far, yeah. And I, I'm really enjoying playing women. It's good. Mm. Mm. Dream character you'd like to play? Oh, uh, Sally and Follies. Oh, God, you'd kill it. I'd love to do that. Just yeah. put them out there. <laughs> okay, what is more emotional, the first or last day of school? First, do you know what? Can I be honest? I'm not very emotional about those things. So <laughs> I'm just like... Can I say neither? Because I'm yeah, there's something missing in me that everyone else is having these tears. And I'm like, okay. Uh, but he was just going to school. So, but it's, I think because he's not emotionally attached to it either. So mm. we just don't go through that build. It's just, it's just another day. Okay. Favorite outfit or prop that you've used on stage? Uh, my Glinda wand is my favorite prop, even though I used to do massive damage with it. And. <laughs> No, I did. I did. I was I was renowned for, for damaging myself and people around me. And um and also um all of my Elizabeth Benning outfits because mm. they were designed by a genius who understands that women have a little bit of something just there around a bra strap that you yeah. don't really want to display in a dance mm. routine. You want it covered. Yeah. <laughs> women knowing women's bodies when they design well, it, things. It's do you know glorious. what it was a guy? It was the guy, it was William Ivy Long, and he he does a very clever cut, um, if I can describe it for a podcast. It's, it looks like a strap at the front, but it's cut really high at the back. 
So you just mm. don't get overhang whatever you do with your arms. We all know where to hold them to yeah. stop that happening. But in the middle of a scene, you don't think about it, right? And you yeah. especially don't think about them when they're taking press shots, ever. <laughs> <laughs> he, is, he is God's gift to women of the performing I, arts. I, I love him very, very much. Okay, so what is the first word that you think of when you think of the word mum? Um... Tired right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's the first thing that came to my head. I think Tired. that's fair. Tired. Um, okay, we're gonna jump into some some bigger questions. Okay. But um, why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about what your journey to becoming a mum was like? Okay. Well, um, I never I, I wasn't sure I wanted to have children for a really long time, I think because um, in my 20s, it was sort of late late 90s musical theatre. There weren't that many performing mums about uh, when I was starting out. There just weren't. And if people did, they, they kind of stepped to, uh, back from the business and I wasn't prepared to do that at that point. So there, was, there seemed to be no marrying of the two. So for a really, really long time, I wasn't sure that I a, liked children at all. <laughs> <laughs> Having not, but also I didn't have any younger, well, I had a younger sibling, but I didn't have any young uh, relatives as I grew up. So I didn't spend a lot of time around kids, I didn't quite understand them. They seemed to cry a lot if I held them. And <laughs> I just didn't have a natural affinity with children. So, and then, um, and then as I got a bit older, I, I think it was, um, I got married to somebody who had a little boy who was three. So I, and I suddenly realized that actually there was something in me that was maternal. And so that built a little bit to the point when I was 37. I was like, well, I'm going to have to do it now because, <laughs> you know, because I kept going, I just feel, I don't feel ready. I don't feel old enough, <laughs> <laughs> which is so stupid. And I honestly did that till I was about 37 and then just thought, well, you know what? You still don't feel ready or old enough, so you better just do it. And I was really lucky because, especially having left it reasonably late, I, I could have had all kinds of issues trying to get pregnant and I didn't and and I had Hugo and it was amazing and I was a terrible pregnant woman I hated it oh, I was okay. absolutely awful at being pregnant I was really sick for the first 17 18 weeks to the point where when they told you that it was stopped at sort of 12 13 weeks I was just like you lied you <laughs> lied to me also the only <sighs> thing that stopped me from being sick was eating bagels with cream cheese and walnuts and having a can of coke every day which I'm not sure was the most healthy diet for a pregnant woman. Um, <laughs> That's incredible. Mine was sweets, you know, refresher sweets, those refresher. chewy bars. With, yeah. with chewy bars with the stuff. Oh my, I think it was the fizz. I it would go, oh, I'm not sick now. Let me have some more of that. I think that's why I totally understand because the can of Coke, if I didn't have that can of Coke in the morning, you could just write me off. Don't, don't come near me. Don't talk to me. And, and I'd limit it to the one. And I'd, I'd have it when I was desperate. by by 9 30 or something um so yeah I struggled with being pregnant and then because of my my unhealthy appetite during pregnancy and I think it also you know what you know it's like in musical theater you're encouraged to be as certainly when you're younger a certain size a certain weight all that kind of thing and I've always been a curvy girl so to keep myself around the size 10 mark was you know it it required a lot of effort and uh, and I knew that I probably wouldn't work so much if I didn't that that was the reality Mm. um Mm. I think it's a lot better now there's an emphasis on fitness rather than thinness but um I think because of all the carbs I denied myself 
um, over the course of my life. I decided <laughs> to eat them all in that nine months and I put on four stone. <laughs> I was enormous and I'm only five foot four. So I, I was as round as I was tall. And <laughs> so I was a great big whale of a puking woman and I really didn't like myself. And also I was terrified because I'd made this decision to have a baby without really, really feeling like I was ready for it. So anyway, but then Hugo arrived and I had a really long labor and I don't remember much of it because having said I don't want any drugs and I want to have a hypnobirth and I'm going to be in a pool and and it's going to be lovely. And I did all of that. And then at the last minute panicked because somebody I knew went in to to the birthing pool and halfway through went, I can't do it. And they went, we're going to have to because we've got no room in the other ward now. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the week before I went in. I was like, right, that's it, that's it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put myself in a ward, and um, I'm kind of glad I did because he was back to back. So it was really painful. It was really long labour. So I had every drug known to man, everything, morphine, <laughs> the uh, the epidural. So I kind of the worst thing is I don't really remember that much of the birth. Mm. Um, I, I was so out of it, and. They had to prise the laughing gas out of my hands. Good for me too. They were like, "We have to." They're like, "You have to push," and then they took it away. And I was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> they did. They had to force it out of my hands with the help of my ex-husband. So, um, yeah, that was fun. But do you know what? Ever since then, it has just been the best thing ever. So. I'm glad I, I'm glad I had the bad part of it the, or the the bit that I didn't enjoy. I'm glad I had that before Hugo turned up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's I love it that way. If it makes you feel any better, Di, I put four stone in on in my pregnancy as oh. well. I was I was and I'm five foot four. Oh my I just God. I was a ball. There's literally. no pictures of me. There's no pictures. Because I mm. think at around 30 weeks I stopped people. I banned people from <laughs> taking pictures of me. <laughs> No, I did it. I did some selfies a week before I was due to have her. I'll have to send them to you a week before I was due to have Ray. And um, it's my tits. I mean, I'm a, I'm a B cup now. I'm, they're covered to this day in stretch marks because they just look like two big fucking balls on my chest. They were absolutely huge. Yeah, mine didn't grow as much, actually. I don't know. It's weird. No, but my bum. My ass was huge. I just remember catching sight of it going, oh, my God, what what am I going to do? What am I, literally, <laughs> what am I going to do about that? No, I feel you. It's just what your body goes through, isn't it? It's that total transformation of, of every single, you know, molecule of your body changing yep. suddenly. In a relatively small amount of time, yeah. let's be honest. Well, nine I months- think that's it. It's such a small amount of time. It's a shock. Yeah. It's a yeah. shock. Do you know what else was a shock? And it was a lovely thing. I, I got Mama Mia really short, shortly after Hugo was born. And I, that, that was a shock because all of a sudden they went, do you reckon you could, um, do you reckon you could be Lycra ready in two months? I was like, <laughs> wow. And I didn't want to go. I put on quite a lot of weight, <laughs> like quite a lot. Um, I just went, yeah, yeah, I can. Yeah. Did you do it as well? Like- I did. I did. I, I, I was a little bit bonkers about it, really. But I also I needed to work because mm-hmm. you know I I was I wasn't in a contract when I got pregnant I was just coming out of a contract so that was it I was not working throughout my entire pregnancy and I couldn't get a job because obviously my body was changing so much yeah so I so yeah I was like I, whatever I need to do right now 
however unsafe it potentially is, I'm probably going to have to do it. So I'm, I'm, I'm a big advocate of exercise and healthy eating for keeping your weight down, um, as opposed to crashing. But I, Same. I, had to, I had to do all every juice fast known to man. It was not pretty, <laughs> and I was not nice. <laughs> so how how old was Hugo then when you went back to Mamma Mia? He was four months. Four yeah, months. Yeah. So I, I think I got the part when. When he was about when I uh, he was about two months old when I got the part I think he was he was so little I I don't remember the rehearsals mm. I, I don't, no <laughs> I seriously arrived. don't because I stayed on for another car well, obviously I stayed on for another two cast changes and the cast change rehearsals they were talking through us through stuff and I was laughing and they were like well we went through this last time die we, we this this is stuff we and you I was like I cannot remember you telling me this stuff I cannot remember this information at all I don't know how I learned it I think yeah. it just maybe because because I am a bit older and I've been doing it for a long time I just some kind of muscle memory clicked in and I just learned it but I had no idea why it was going in at all I just oh ugh. That sounds so interesting because like you always like the first year your brain just doesn't work so no. well done die no no it didn't work I'm not sure <laughs> it didn't work anyway <laughs> I once fell asleep in the bed um you know, <laughs> there was a bit where they're singing chickatita you and I know all that bit <laughs> and Donna's like cuddled up in the bed pretending to sob and I, I fell asleep for 20 seconds. And also... <laughs> <laughs> that is just fucking brilliant. It was, a, it was the nicest sleep I'd ever had. <laughs> Power naps. Power naps are everything. Okay, what is the hardest thing about motherhood for you, Di? At the moment, um, the re- it's relentless. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, 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 don't, I think not getting the time, I didn't realise how important it was for me and how I built it into the way that I deal with everything to have mm. the day, the, the bit at school where you just have some headspace and get some stuff done without having to constantly monitor someone else. And... Um, and the bit at work where I would go and, you know, for all intents and purposes, you can go and just kind of leave everything behind for a few hours. And I've always thought of work, as, as since I had a child, work has be- become almost my me time. Yeah. <laughs> where I go out and do a show of an evening. Um, so at the moment, it's, it's, the, it's the lack of headspace, um, which normally isn't an issue. I think the hardest thing for me is that I... I'm I'm massively health anxious as a person, which is great in a pandemic. <laughs> oh my god, it's a great time to be a massive hypochondriac. Um, so I kind of transferred that onto Hugo quite a lot when I was when he was littler. Um, so <clears throat> I was I spent a lot of time in a high state of anxiety for his health um, because all of the things were, I, that I used to imagine were wrong with me. <laughs> I <laughs> just imagine they were wrong with him. So, um, yeah, I find that hard, just the thought, the responsibility of keeping somebody else alive, which eases off as they get older, I'm, I'm mm. noticing. 
because, you know, he can kind of keep himself alive a little bit now. Well, how old is Hugo now? How, how many years have you kept him alive? Seven. Seven and a half. Seven and a half, you know? And, seven's um, such a great age. Six, oh seven. God, I love seven. They were my favourite years, really? genuinely. I yeah. can see mm. why, because to be honest, I, I thought I was going to really miss the cuteness of the little cutie, but actually <laughs> little cutie baby squatch face. And, you know, I've watched him growing up and, and starting to be sometimes look like a little grown up and mm. say these things. But he's so funny. Now. <laughs> His opinions are hilarious. And <laughs> he started being really larry with me about being northern as well, which I'm really enjoying. He keeps going, what are you saying? Are you speaking in northern? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then he corrects my mum as well because she's like really northern. And she, she'd hate me for saying that too because uh, she thinks she's not, but she is. <laughs> and she calls him Hugo and he's like no grandma it's Hugo and then he makes her go through it loads of times so he's getting he's he's hitting his precocious phase which is quite nice because he's a gentle soul really and it's quite nice to see that little sense of humor coming out in him oh yeah it's such yeah. a great time yeah Ray's nearly 10 she hates everything <laughs> she's <laughs> Macy's just emotional about everything. Everything is super Yeah, I think I've got right that now. next year. I've got that because the girls are literally one year. There's literally a year and a day. Yeah, 364 days between the girls. So um, at the minute, Ray's just like, you're so, you're so, uh, you're so embarrassing. And I'm just like, thanks, thanks, Ray, all the time. <laughs> she does not, I said this earlier, she does not think I'm cool in the least. She thinks I'm a complete embarrassment. <laughs> I feel like I might be that person to Hugo. I definitely do. At the moment, he thinks that it's really funny that I'm a bit stupid at school when I drop him off and all that. And that's not going to last, is it? No. It's not. He's going he's gonna to hate me. <laughs> and I'm not going to stop. Well, I always feel like when they're really cute and cuddly and sort of, you know, all over you, to a degree, there's a sense of, oh, my God. But there's also like you're not going to want to be in the same room with me soon enough. So I will take all of these sort of overindulgent snuggles and maybe not so much the climbing on me, but, you know, like, okay, mm. I'll take it because you're soon going to want to be so far away from me. I know. You know? It's, it's hard to it's hard to try and remember that, though, I think. It is. when you're. Yeah, I think that is a secret. What is something about motherhood you never expected? To, to enjoy it. And I think it sounds really stupid because why would you have a child if you didn't think you were going to enjoy it? But I, I honestly, I didn't know what to expect. Mm. Um, and, and none of my friends at this point had really had kids. I think I hadn't, ex- I thought it was going to be more of a traditional beaten down kind of really hard slog, at least for the first at least for the first bit. So I was pleasantly surprised that there's so much that comes with it that is so beautiful and so fulfilling. Mm. And you cannot explain that until, until you've experienced it. Um, that um, even having to get up in the middle of the night. Um, another friend of mine once said that it's a bit like if Brad Pitt wakes you up in the middle of the night and goes, can you make me a sandwich, please? And you're just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That is not my. That is not my analogy. That is uh, that's Gina Murray. Um, it's just, but it's true. You kind of they're, they're so beautiful, and you just feel so amazing about what you're doing. That most of the time, not all of the time, 
that I, that that was that was quite a, a a revelation to me, especially I think after having a yeah not particularly pleasant a pleasant pregnancy. So um, that's probably what was most surprising: the fact that it was lovely. That's such yeah. a nice answer. <laughs> Ask me on a different day. <laughs> <laughs> Thing that surprises me on how hard it is. <laughs> what do you think are the biggest expectations that are put on you as a mother? Um. Okay, this is a, this is a personal one, and in no way am I saying which is the. There's no right way and no right answer, but I felt that there was an awful lot of pressure on on me to breastfeed, and I know that it's something that a lot of people have struggled with, and I know that people struggle with um, people condemning them for breastfeeding too long and not breastfeeding at all and struggling with it, and I just think everyone needs to butt out mm. because the pr- the pressure actually just makes it impossible and everybody's body works in a different way I mean um I had I lost a friend of mine very soon after Hugo was born and she got really sick really quickly and I'm not I I mean it sounds like I'm blaming that I think my body shut down and Mm. try as I might I and I really tried I could not do it and I put and I put pressure on myself and I had a lot of people emailing me going you know you really need to do this mm. and they're usually older family members you really need to do this this is what's best for the baby and in the end she got really thin <laughs> he was such a chunk when he was born and I suddenly had this little thin baby that was dropping weight and I had a great health visitor who just said just give him some formula because the most important thing is that he eats and I was really lucky that I had her because I know that other people haven't had that experience so yeah I think that's a very very basic pressure that is put on mums and you know just to get everything right all the time there's so much out there and people just don't want to admit that they don't get it right um, and this is why this something like this is really great. Um, to, just talking about how how it doesn't come naturally, you know, even down yeah. to the, you, the to the to the this rush of love that you're supposed to feel when somebody puts this baby on your chest. Mm. And it always sounded like a, a bit of a fairy tale to me. And mm. inevitably, when I mean, and I know some people said that they do feel this, and that is amazing. I'm so glad that some people feel this instant bond, and my life is complete. I did not feel that for Same. for some months. Yeah. I don't think, um, and then all Same. of a sudden, I understood, and I got it. But it certainly wasn't. Uh, you put the baby on my chest, and my life is complete. It wasn't like that at all. And that's something that I think people are starting to talk about now, which is a really, really good thing, because again, it is an expectation that that somehow mums in- instinctively know what they're supposed to do, who they're supposed to be, how they're supposed to feel about these kind of things. And and everyone's so different. But also, I didn't feel that right away. I don't know when it started, but I was so fucking tired yeah. after giving birth to Maisie. After 54 hours, they put her on my chest, and my I think my only thought was, like, thank fuck that's done. Same, yeah. I asked for toast. I asked for toast. I was off. I was off my tits. I know the drugs anyway. The pasta to me, she looked nothing like I expected. This really, really, really pale baby with a full afro of hair. I was drugged high as anything, and I says, "She's lovely. Can I have some toast, please?" <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty interesting because the first thing I asked for was food. I wonder if we'd just been without carbs for a little too long. <laughs> certainly during my pregnancy, I hadn't been without carbs for more than half an hour at a time. So It was just, no, I think I, I was in labour for 60 hours, I think it was, and I threw up and I was like p- 
diarrhea and just really really sick and hardly ate for days and I'd pushed for I think it was four hours and because she wasn't going to come so they had to give me a von Tuse cup and suction cap yeah in the end because she was in such distress from being from being pushing for that many hours so I think when it was all done my body just went I need to eat do you know what I mean it was like I understand all this is happening but if you don't feed her right now she's gonna collapse (laughs) (laughs) totally I totally get that it's just such a I think we don't talk about we, we talk about traumatic deaths in that they you know when they get really scary and where there is potential loss of life but we don't talk about the physical trauma that our bodies are subjected to not just like even just pregnancy you know your hips physically pull your bones in your hips physically pull apart your teeth your teeth can fall out so many people I've said so many stories of people their gums Mm. go so soft they're just brushing their teeth one day and a tooth comes out it's mad isn't it oh my god yeah but just my I just felt like I didn't know what had happened because I had said, I had this running gag that the moment I peed on a stick, I was having an epidural. This was like my running joke, like, <laughs> oh, two lines, hook me up. And, Fair play. Um, and I was like, no, I want all the drugs. And we went to this, uh, similar to NCT, and everyone in the group was like, oh, no, I want to have my child dancing in the forest and listening to the sounds of the bird. And I was like, I want the drugs. Like, I'm just going to be, you guys have that. That's fine. I want the drugs. And I was the only one in the group who didn't have drugs. And in the end, that's just the way it went. It was just really long. There's something about the amount of pain that the human body can bear before it shuts down and dies. During childbirth, you go way beyond that level of pain. It's incredible what we do. I, I, like I say, I didn't feel any pain because I didn't <laughs> have any drugs. Yeah, but your body still goes through it. That's like when people are like, oh, well, we had a really it. fast labor, right? And I'm like, I don't know. Your body has to still go from A to B mm-hmm. in whatever time it takes. And I'm not sure I'd want to be doing that in two hours any oh, more than I really wanted to do it longer. No, I was done. By the time I got into the hospital, in fact, I remember crying going, please don't send me home because they said I hadn't dilated at all. Yeah, uh, but I had been in late. I've been having contractions that were like two and a half minutes apart, and so I was just like, "Please, please don't send me away." I've heard that you send people away, and they were like, "No, no it's all right, my darling. We we know that you're in labour. It's fine. You're not going anywhere." <laughs> Would you like some diamorphine? I'm just like, "Yes, give it to me now." <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I was I was like the ladies in the NCT group. Um, halfway through, halfway through, I was Mrs. Hypnobirth, and I was going to call him Sage. And <laughs> I love this. <laughs> yeah. I love this. This is brilliant. Paletia. And you know what? I still maintain it's a lovely name, but not for a Christmas baby. Where the <laughs> a Christmas baby called Sage. <laughs> it would have been a cruel thing to do. And, um, and he's quite bonkers anyway. I mean, God, I look at him now and go, I'm so, I'm so glad I didn't call him Sage because he is flipping away with the fairies. And I, I just think it would have, although maybe, I wonder if it influences what you're like. I wonder it if might he'd, do. He'd have had to combat that. It was cool. Like, sort of hardcore. 
like little baby leather jacket. And- <laughs> I do. I was going to call him Sage Charles. He's Hugo Charles now because I just wanted there to be a second name that he could choose to have at some point. So somewhere in my psyche, I knew that saddling him with the name Sage. Sorry if anybody <laughs> at all Sage. But, but, but the calling him something like that was going to give him a challenge and that if he was a certain type of child, he might want to change it. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, my God, that has made my day, I think, that story. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, let's um, start with the, the Jesus one. Okay. I will, so, I, will, I, will, I will. I will say my mother, my, and my ex-mother-in-law, who was lovely, sake. did want me to call my child Jesus because... <laughs> He was born on Boxing Day and um, he. I went to labour on Christmas morning and I never forget her saying, if he's born today, we'll have to call him Jesus. And I truly maintain that that is why my labour went on for so long because my brother <laughs> shut down and said that cannot happen because it's really not going to happen. Anyway. <laughs> it, you know, if it was Spanish, it might have worked. But Jesus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Jesus you know. is quite cool. Do you know what I mean? Or the... Um, the Muslim name Isa, I love that name. That's a beautiful name. The Muslim ver- yeah, but variation. You still have to look at writ- written on paper. <laughs> I just feel like in, in, I mean, we're in North London. Jesus Paletio. <laughs> <laughs> Step forward. Yeah, no, it's just not, no. <laughs> Thanks, Sylvie, for that, but it wasn't going to happen. Ray's name is Ray Isabella after um, her dad's grandma. Beautiful name, Ray Isabella, Karina White. And um, but my mum was desperate to have her name in, and I love my mum, but that name was not going in. My mum is called Brenda. Do you know what I mean? I love Brenda. We love <laughs> Brenda. Love- Brenda no, is gorgeous. Brenda is. She's mm. lovely. She's a brilliant mum, an amazing nan. But I says that name is not going in my <laughs> child. So then she was like, "Let's make it cool or hip. Why don't we call it a B as a middle name?" I said, "Say that name together, mum. Ray B. No, we're not going to call my child Ray B." <laughs> you have to do that you have to spend a lot of time shortening it checking out the initials it's very very important (laughs) okay so back on topic back on topic how did you get involved with the good enough mums club diane (laughs) well it's funny you should ask that um i actually spoke to emily was it in 2013 yeah yep and um uh, and really, really loved the idea of it. I think at that point, it was probably when I was just at the end of my first contract or going into my second contract of Mamma Mia, the said time yeah. where I realised where I hadn't, I hadn't actually been physically and mentally in rehearsals the year before. So it was just impossible. And yeah. also, um, it must have been around the time that I split up with Hugo's dad. So I think it was just one, it was just like, you 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 guys know this. Trying to keep your head above water. Oh my god! Mm. And have a baby and get divorced. It was really fun. Um, so you know, just pretty much absolutely no headspace for anything. So I regretfully, I, I I was just a bit like, this sounds amazing, but I just I just don't think this is going to work at this time. So I was really glad to be able to be part of it now because it's just when when it came up, I was just like, yes. I remember this. I remember this. It was this great concept where it's all mums and ah. So yeah, that's why I'm here. What can you tell us about your character in the Good Enough Mums Club? Pam. <clears throat> Pam. So I, I think I sent, I think it was you are emailed about this because I initially looked at Pam and thought I have absolutely nothing in common with this woman. Absolutely nothing with her, in common with her at all. I just thought, you know, I, 
I really don't think I'm about appearances, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> just for just for those who can't see, I didn't brush my hair today. Um, and I'm I, I don't think I'm as hard on myself, at least mm. not nowadays. I used to be. And then a few little things crept in, and then, then we started doing that first read through, and I realised that I, I I'd chosen a matching cup and plate with biscuits on, <laughs> and they were and they were Kath Kidston ones, and there was some kind of line, and in there, and I just went, oh my god, yeah, there is something about the fact that I it mattered to me that much to have a matching cup and plate on my first Zoom. Um, <clears throat> so she's very. Um, She's obviously going through a difficult time behind the scenes. Um, she's dealing with her husband's un- infidelity. She's dealing with the loss of her career. And the, so the loss of what she perceives as her self-worth. Um, she's all about how she appears to other people. I think that matters to her so much. It's almost become, for me, um, melded into her own personality that that. That she, it's, it's, well, it's, it's, it's like for a lot of us, I think, um, how people perceive us ends up being <clears throat> how we perceive ourselves. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and I think that she's lost sight, at least at the beginning of the play, I, I, th- I think that she's lost sight of anything that res- is intrinsically her. I think her children are an extension of her and how they are perceived is is how she is perceived. And I think... I think her her presentation of her home life to the women that she's with um, is is a way of seeing herself in a better light. Mm. So, so um, and you know she she's clearly clearly a woman of many many barriers and walls. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I think that I can be a little bit like that um, if I'm honest. I certainly pre- I present a different facade to the outside world than Pam. Mm. You know, hers is very um, groomed, and mine is not. But at the same time, I still, I, I do. When I'm at work, for example, I think I, <clears throat> I, I try not to take my personal life into work if I can avoid it. It doesn't always work very well, but I try not to. Um, and sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes it's a bad thing. Yeah, because um, because sometimes you need to be able to share with some people, at least the people who are closest to you, that you might be having a really shit day. And you might have had a massive row with your other half, or, or something like that. And and I'm <clears throat> I'm definitely guilty of trying to present a a perfected front, which I, mm. which I think is all that Pam is doing. She's presenting her what she perceives as a perfected front, and it's different for all of us. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's 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 um, masks though, isn't it? We've all got masks that we wear for given circumstances, and they're our protection. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Some people will make themselves the butt of the joke before anyone else can say something. Some people will ma- make sure everything is perfect so that they feel superior to everybody else. Everyone mm-hmm. has got their way of just living. And I think Pam is, she's a sweetheart, bless her. My character it, and your character are odds. <laughs> yeah. But I think also, I think Pam has to feel like she can control something in a world where she has control over nothing, really. Absolutely. Like, everything is gone for her. And I do think that it's really fun when we uh, when we interviewed Gemma, we were asking her about her favorite things about the show. And she said Pam is one of her favorite things. And she is team Pam all the way. She thinks we should have t-shirts. <laughs> and she is team Pam the whole way, which I, I absolutely love. Ironically, though, I love Pam. I think she's brilliant. I think she's incredible. And I think she's um, she's so this is where Emily's genius is. You know her 
you just know this woman. Do you know what I mean? I totally agree. She's well intended, but she doesn't necessarily get it right. And I think particularly with the way the world is at the moment, the whole Black Lives Matter movement, and we're moving towards inclusivity and a more open space, people like Pam would be challenged. But I feel like Pam would try out, she'd she'd be like, right, I've got to get this right because she's so perfect at everything. And she will be reading all of the books. I totally agree. I think it would take her a little time, though, to come to terms with the fact that she hadn't got it right. Mm, because mm. I, I do think that there's, a, there's an element of her that might be, I don't know. Um, the, we've, we've seen a lot, like you say, especially at the moment on social media, there is definitely a section and they are probably my age and they are probably white. So I'm saying probably so that I'm not, not excluding <laughs> anybody from this because everybody's guilty of something. Mm. But I think that certainly um, a lot of my, not friends necessarily in the industry, we tend to be a little more liberal and a little bit more free thinking. But I have had conversations with people that have shocked me in their, in their reluctance to see that there's anything to learn at mm. all. Mm. And, and, and because, because it's, it's a terrifying thing to say all this time I've thought of myself as not racist and, and not this and not that. And yet I'm now being challenged and I have to accept that there are things that I've probably done or said that are, that are not okay. Uh, or that are turning a blind eye or that are just me being comfortable and going, okay, yeah, well, I'm comfortable. So everyone else should be comfortable too. And I've, and I think it's taking some people longer than others to admit to that. And mm. I, I think, but I do, th- yeah, like you say, you know, um, our characters have a very, very uh, difficult relationship. And I think it is partly because of that. I think Chantelle challenges and, and Pam initially isn't ready to be challenged. You but know, she, she gets on board. That's what I mean. She does get on board. She does get on board. So she's, she's redeemable. The whole reason she's at this play group is because she wants to help. She wants to, she's thinking she's, and she is in some ways, but it's not a nice way when you actually look at it. She's giving back. She's doing something with her privilege. But when she's really challenged to do something with her privilege, she's like, oh, oh no, no, no. That's, mm-hmm. that makes me feel uncomfortable. And there's so many people that I know like that who do 100% try and do something with their privilege, but it's it's a bit performative and it's a bit based in, um in, unconscious bias and all the other things that you shouldn't really do if you're trying to help somebody so yeah and I think that those are two really really key things that I that I think are really in, uh, they're really intrinsic to Pam is the fact she is performative at the mm-hmm. beginning she's performative. performative and there is a lot of unconscious bias there and, and we, we said you know she would she would be the she would be mortified at being told she was biased because yes. But that's why I said when, as soon as she really realized she was, she would do everything in her power to get rid of that because that is not something she would want. Do you know what I mean? It would take a while, as you said, but the second she realized it, that's it. She's reading why why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. She's reading Natives by Akala. She's watching the podcast. She's in there. Do you know what I mean? She's going to try when she realizes. I'm Pam. <laughs> I bought my my son. I, I, I honestly, I did. I went and bought the reading list. I did Mm-mm. when when the, when the, all the stuff came out on Instagram, the reading list. I just thought, well, you know what? I probably should bloody read these things. Um, we all should. Um, the fact is, I hadn't read them before, 
because we're all nice and comfortable, aren't we? But yeah. 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 I thought Blue Peter did a bloody great job, by the way. Did you oh, see that? Their yeah. Yeah. I don't know how you feel. I, I really, really. And now Hugo's madly into Blue Peter, so. It's just, it's lovely as well, because obviously I'm Ray, well, not obviously, Ray is, um, she's mixed race, but she's more, but the, the mix is more Jamaican and Caribbean than it is white, because I'm mixed and her dad's um, for, um, black. So from she was born, everything that I brought into the house and the stuff that we filled her head with, I was very aware. I was like, I am not having a little girl who thinks that she's lesser. So, yeah. and we were so blessed as well that's the last couple of years, Disney have got on board with it and realised that the princesses can not all be white and they can't, mm-hmm. like, the, the idea we've frozen, I love that, that what Elsa says to Anna, you cannot marry a man that you do not know because we'd spent all our childhood hearing these stories of women marrying men instantly. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I completely agree with you. It was, um, so for right now, she's really enjoyed it. Funnily enough, going to school and hearing them talk about it, she goes, oh, yeah, I've read that. Oh, yeah, we've seen that. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Excellent. So, yeah, it's, it is nice, though, to, to see that the next generation of children will be brought up with knowledge because in, yeah. you don't know something. You can't, you, you're, you're not going to do something about it if you're not knowledgeable about it. So I agree. Well, something that really struck me, and I, I don't know whether this is good or bad. It, I, I decided I needed to have a conversation with Hugo. For, for very, well, one, because we all need to be having conversations. But actually, um, two of his friends are mixed race, uh, his two closest friends, and his cousins are. Um, And so I thought, I need to have this conversation now, right away, because people are having conversations openly all the time. And um, I want him to have the the understanding of what people are talking about. But first of all, I had to explain what I was talking about when I was talking about racism, which in, in one way is a good thing, because he had absolutely... No, no conscious idea of it. Even if it was there in the subconscious, he had no. He, uh, he, he I, I found it really hard to find the words to explain what it was, mm-hmm. because, um, because it's just not something anyone talks about. And I wonder if that is part of the problem: is that if you don't talk about something that is there, then children then can't find a way of unlearning it. Um, and I, like that's why I say I felt that somehow the thing that helped springboard it was the the conversation they had at the beginning of one of the Blue Peter ex, uh, episodes where they just explained what racism was, and I thought, okay, this is this is where we can go from here. Completely, no, I agree. It is really, yeah. That was a really really hard conversation, and not because of anything except trying to just explain what it was I was going to try and educate him about, because because <laughs> you kind of have to start from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell you about something that you probably haven't even really considered. So anyway, it's a good conversation to be having. But yes, I've just realized I am Pam because I bought all those books. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Di. Um, do you have a favorite moment in the show? Do I have a favorite moment in the show? <laughs> I... I particularly, I particularly love the uh, what the fuck's up with mom, with kids TV. <laughs> I'm I'm really really enjoying that. Um, I think because I really hate kids TV. <laughs> I hate it with a passion. 
Um, I mean, I love, I think there's so many different moments of the show and they're all valid for so many different reasons. There's, there's bits that make your heart break and there's bits that make you think and there's bits that make you laugh and there's bits that make me go, you can't say that. And <laughs> we, we cannot talk about these things. And, um, and then... as Pam, because you're not Pam, <laughs> or you die. You are not yeah, Pam. It's not Pam, it's Pam. No, we, can't, we can't talk about mucus plugs, no. Um, <laughs> le- even less sing about them. Um, and, and yeah, I, I just love that one. Finally, die. Tell us yeah. where our mums can follow you on social media. Oh, um, on social media. Um, so I, I have an Instagram and a Twitter, uh, and they're both at Di Pilkey. Thank you so much, Di. It's been such a laugh. My face is hurting from smiling. <laughs> Thank you so much, Diane, for sharing your stories with us. You can join the club or find out more about the musical and be the first to find out about season two of the podcast by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching Good Enough Moms Club. And we'd love it if you can hit the subscribe button for the podcast, rate and review wherever you listen. And if you know a mom who would benefit from listening to the podcast, please tell them about it. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. 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 How will I ever be good enough? When will the loneliness fade?